0: Broadcasting from deep in the Ublifaris galaxy, on a small planet called Gekonia, east of the Albino Hills and south of the raging Lucistic River, comes the one, the only, Gecko Nation Radio.
1: Good evening, citizens of Gecko Nation. It is another great Sunday night, and I'm happy to be here doing the show with you all. And, of course, for tonight's episode, and uh, probably most of the future episodes, we have our new co-host, Mr. Tim Walton. Tim, you're live on the air. How's it going?
2: I like that you just dropped the y'all, because um, our guest tonight <laughs> is, uh, is a Texan, and she'll be dropping some y'alls, I'm sure, when we bring her on. <laughs>
1: I actually do use that term and I'm not even like from the Southwest or anything. And, uh, I don't know. It's just, it's just an easy comfortable way of talking. I don't know I
3: like it, but yeah, it's, it's, the, first time, it's it. the
1: first time I've heard you, uh, pull one of those out though. Uh, I you'll, you'll be surprised. I, uh, I, I'll, I throw all kinds of different, uh, you know, different, uh, words out every now and again. And, you know that I just don't normally use, and some people think I'm like joking around, but like I say, indeed a lot, and uh, <laughs> I, I don't know why I say it. It's just uh it's just an easy way uh, for me to, I don't know, have a conversation. Oh you know somebody says something, I'm like indeed, indeed. I don't know, I like that word, but uh, <laughs> it's funny.
2: Um, tell us a little bit about tonight's guest uh, too. Um, Kristen Tran is our, uh, guest tonight. She's, uh, the owner of Medusa's Balls, uh, and they mainly breed ball pythons, but work with a few other species, including, um, some geckos, and, uh, she's a hobbyist breeder, and, um, we'll have her on to talk about some of her experiences in the hobby and how she got started in the hobby and what she's excited about, um. As the 2015 breeding season rapidly approaches, and um, yes. hopefully h- here's a, a new perspective and uh, kind of talk a little bit about some species other than leopard geckos tonight.
1: Cool, cool. Well, that's you know I like ball pythons, and ball pythons are really starting to uh, come into their own in a way, and you know they've starting for the to last,
4: uh,
1: well. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? Uh, well, for the last, you know, I don't know, like decade or so. Actually, only it's only been a couple of years really where a lot of these morphs have really been accessible to the average and new hobbyist that, you know, isn't going out to invest in thousands of dollars. So, you know, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like a new frontier in a sense where, like, now just about anybody can uh, get an exciting, cool morph, multi combo genes, and Uh, Have some fun breeding and making uh, making other nice stuff, and uh, and I think it's pretty pretty cool. I mean, two, three, four years ago, a lot of these morphs were just out of reach. You just couldn't afford them—ten grand, twenty grand. Um, I saw a uh, super pastel vanilla fire on Facebook for seven fifty today, and something like that. Even two years ago was probably like five grand. So. You know, I think that's that's a good thing. What do you think uh, about the, the pricing of ball pythons,
2: Jim? Um, I think it'll be interesting. That's something that I wanted to uh, discuss with Kristen and, and not so much uh, specifics in terms of pricing, but just okay. um, I, I actually uh, recently thought about acquiring um, some ball pythons um, more. You know, I, I like ball pythons and I've kept them in the past. But, um, I've never bred them, and I wanted to get some experience um with python eggs and incubation and uh so, I was thinking about getting some ball python to to get that experience and um I looked at a, a couple of the morphs that I like kind of the classic morphs like um like piebald and albinos, and i you know I saw the an albino ball python probably like one of my first ones that I actually worked with um back in the 90s and i can i couldn't believe when when people talk about how the the ball py- python market has crashed and you what you actually go and look at the prices of these classic morphs i think it's far from crashing it's you know if if you had bought you know paid thousands of dollars for for these morphs 10 years ago even if you produced one every other year you would have, you know, more than than recovered your initial investment. And uh I just can't believe when people say that you you know use that term, the the crash of the market when, you know, there's still, you know, several hundred dollars for a morph that's been around for twenty years. Um yeah. but I think that that's something cool that we can uh tackle when, when we bring Kristen up.
1: Excellent. Yeah, that that is a big thing. I mean, it's all perception uh, from what I can tell, you know. And, yeah, sometimes people freak out totally unnecessarily about things. And we had a little bit of a, a freak out with leopard geckos right before September. Uh, you know, people really weren't buying leopard geckos at the end of August. Uh, it was just, you know, different things going on. I I blame it on people getting ready, getting their kids ready for school, not really thinking about new pets and stuff and um you know, things like that, people ending their vacations and all that. But uh right after, you know, September everything went back to normal and gecko sales recovered. Uh so it's it it's and flows. But yeah, that's that's definitely something I'd love to talk about tonight with Kristen about. Um folks, I just want to uh let everybody know that the auction for Christina's Pet Sanctuary, I was uh going to have it Monday through Wednesday of this week but uh some some of the Auctioneers haven't gotten their submissions in yet, and uh, I think I really just need another week to plan this. It's quite an undertaking to get it all organized, and I'm doing it all by myself. So uh, give me another week to get everything straightened out and uh, join Gecko Nation Marketplace so you guys can get in on this great auction. What we're doing is um, we're getting a bunch of breeders and people out there to donate animals and supplies uh, that we're going to auction off, and all the proceeds are going to go to Christina's Pet Sanctuary. Uh, you can check her out at com. And she was a guest on the show about a few months back, and Tim o co-hosted for that show, too. So, But uh, aside from that, I just want to let everybody know that Gecko Nation Radio not only loves its listeners, but we love our sponsors, too. They are awesome. Check them out, and we'll be
0: right back. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Geckos creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page, at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by Reptiles Express, is the absolute best live animal shipping company with great low rates. Debbie is the queen of customer service and will make sure your precious cargo gets to where it needs to. They also have a wide array of shipping supplies from deli cups, snake bags, heat packs, and more. Visit reptilesexpress.com and become a member today. Longhorn Geckos is a father and son collaboration. Daryl and Kate Burton specialize in the best super tangelos, pastel raptors, white and yellows, and really nice wild types. Follow them on Facebook at Longhorn Geckos and on their new website coming soon. Ohio Gecko is famous for amazing tangerines, snows, and other very unique leopard gecko projects Thad also has some incredible fat tail morphs available from stingers to starbursts visit him online at ohiogecko.com and at expos in the northeast he is also the owner of geckoforms.net Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need from Exoterra Zoo Med Rapashi, Repcal Fluker and much much more and all at 20 to 50 percent cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. And if you're looking for quality food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins in high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact MS2ENT. Weebly. Com, or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. That's
1: right, folks, and AB Dragons has a standard uh discount code for Gecko Nation radio listeners and fans, and that code is GECKO, all in caps. Use it at checkout and get 5% off your order. And uh, basically what you can do, folks, is um, talk to our sponsors. Tell them that you like the show, and uh, they'll likely hook you up. Um, they like the show, or else they wouldn't sponsor it. So they're probably going to like people and customers that like the show. So everybody likes each other, and everybody's happy, and maybe you'll get a discount. So, uh that's good. So uh so what else is going on, Tim? What what is that what is that one thing that we talk about at every show right in the beginning that's
2: really important? To get people off of the crappy Facebook and onto the awesome gecko net.
1: Right. Absolutely. So, you know, like as far as it goes, Facebook is like the kindergarten and Gecko Forums is like the um, Oxford University of geckos, yeah, as far as information goes, right? Is that a good analogy?
2: Perfect. Right on.
1: Okay. Yes. So, folks, if you're listening to the show, if you're really seriously interested in learning and getting information um, that will take you not only your projects to the next level, but also your business or uh, just your knowledge, you're going to want to really get the best and most accurate information, especially on the history of some of these morphs and lineages. That's so important. Um, especially, if, yeah, if you're going into, a, if you're going to try to make a business out of breeding animals, geckos, snakes, you know, you, you need to know the lineage. You need to know the history. You know, you need to know who did what to create what. And that information isn't really found on Facebook easily. So, Go to Gecko Forums, do your history. It's all there for you. Um, check it out. And another thing I'd like to mention, everybody, if you like our show and you like listening to uh, us talk about reptiles and have our guests on, you will likely uh, enjoy our uh, affiliate, Herpentine Radio. They do a show every Saturday, and uh, you can check them out. They're also on Block Talk, and they have a wide array of guests in the, from the community and industry. I'm sure you like them. Uh, and that's that's it for the announcements. So uh, why don't we go ahead and uh, jump into the news. Tim, what do you think?
2: Let's bring on Steve. All right.
5: Good evening, Gaconians.
1: What's up, Steve? How are you?
5: Pretty good. How are you guys?
1: Good, good. And I, I think it's... Uh, why don't we go ahead and make a little announcement? And, uh, folks, uh, I, I know a lot of you guys love the news segment, but we are going to be, uh, transitioning away from doing the news. Uh, Steve does a lot for the show with his audio and video work and, uh, you know, the news stories, reptile news, it's good. It's interesting. Uh, but a lot of the stories kind of just repeat themselves, you know, like a snake found in the shower, somebody, you know, uh, Steve, you, you can, you know, better (laughs) than me. (laughs) <laughs> but uh yeah. you know I think it's kind of it kind of gets uh, a little monotonous. So, you know, we were talking and uh we're going to give Steve a break. He's going to take uh you know, focus on other uh things with the show. And uh well, you know, you know, I mean, when something important happens with USR or whatever, uh, you'll come on and give us a news flash though, right?
5: Yeah, yeah, we can do that. Sure. Okay. Yeah, cuz that's important. So,
1: yeah, we're gonna keep the show flowing, the format flowing, and the you know we're, we're always changing things with the show because we want to keep it fresh and new and uh, you know relevant to what's going on. So I hope you uh, hope you guys like the new format. So go ahead, Steve. Uh, let's see, hear what you got for us.
5: All right, since you talked about finding snakes in things, <laughs> <The> <laughs> right? Br- British British Columbia, a couple purchased. A used Volvo, and the following day, discovered it came with a ball python. <laughs> <laughs> so, they, uh, hey, do
1: I know these stories or what?
5: Yeah, yeah. They had they had Abbotsford's the reptile guy came and set up a heater in inside the car with a bin with full, four rats or three rats in it. Excuse me. And that lured the snake out of the car's dash. <laughs> oh, my God. That's, I can just picture yeah. that. That's so funny. So that that's pretty good bonus, I think. You buy a car, you get a free ball python. <laughs> well, if
1: you're not deathly afraid of snakes, yes.
5: Right, yeah. I'm
1: sure. <laughs> what are the odds, though? I mean, uh, percentage-wise,
5: statistically,
1: I would think, you know, only a small percentage of people really enjoy finding snakes in their cars. Uh, Oh, yeah. yeah.
5: (laughs) I I wouldn't mind.
1: (laughs) No, me neither.
5: All right. This next article is kind of weird. It's out of, let's see, it's out of the Pasadena Star News. And it reads, News, political ads are filling the airwaves. And this is the author's view. The worthiness of the ballot, propositions of those running for elective office notwithstanding, it's interesting, amusing to see what buzzwords define the issues. What to discredit someone who is running for office or supports an initiative, easy. Just mention they are in the pocket of a special interest group. No need to mention Who these shady groups are? The implication is that they are evil, even though they include lobbying groups such as the United States Association of Reptile Keepers, the American Dehydrated Onion, the Garlic Association, and the California Cling Peach Growers. Now that's that section. It just I couldn't believe they included Ark in there. (laughs) You know. I kind of I, I was a little
1: distracted while you were telling telling that uh, story,
5: Steve. Just rehash it a little bit. Um, what, it's kind of it's it... kind of hard to explain, but the the main part of it that that caught my eye was included. U.S. arc. It says no need to mention who those shadowy groups are. The impl- implication is that they are evil even though they include lobbying groups such as USARC uh, the American De- dehydrated onion the garlic association and the California cling peach growers
1: the garlic it's, association should really be considered evil because anytime you eat garlic it affects your personal life and your uh, you know your friendships <laughs> and your relationships so you know they should really get on the ball with that but it's
5: called
1: U.S. How could they... Right. Why would they... Yeah.
5: Yeah. It's kind of weird. It is strange. It really is. But you know
1: what? I'd like to make another comment on this. You know, when somebody starts a little business, maybe it's you or me, Steve, or even Tim or anybody, they usually have the business's best intentions at heart. And, you know, they're, they're really happy. They want to do it really well. They probably have a product or something that they uh you know they put their heart and soul in and they build their business from there eventually the business gets bigger and bigger if it's a successful business and it becomes a corporation and a big big entity type thing at that point the original founder of the company has little or no influence in what actually happens and it comes becomes this this machine and there is no more heart and soul put into it it's just a money making machine for investors and at that point, I believe these businesses, quote, unquote, become evil because there's no more of that human, I don't know, that human feel to it. You know what I mean? And this is just my opinion. So in a, in a sense, these big conglomerates and these huge, you know, corporations and this, you know, they you hear all the time how poorly they treat the employees and, you know, working conditions, this and that. And I'm sure the original founder of those businesses, that wasn't their plan for that to happen that way. But, uh, you know, I think it's just a part of, if you feel that that's success and that's where you're headed, I think you have to drop some of your, I don't know, humanity in a sense to get your company to that point because it's a big machine at that point. That's just my opinion. I don't know what you guys think. Yeah awake.
2: Yeah. Let us. I'm good. I'm just listening. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But all
5: right,
1: go ahead. Right
5: all what right. Was was our, our next story is going to go in Newsweek on November 7th. It looks like it's going to be a front page and this is what it says extinct.com some of the rarest species on earth are being killed off by traders on Facebook. So inside, the article says, the black market trade for endangered animals flourished on the web. Uh, I'm just going to read part of it because it's like 15 pages long. But um, it says that the black market trade is the fifth largest contraband trade ranking just after narcotics. Excluding illegal trade in timber and fisheries, it nets an estimated $10 billion per year. All of the sales are taking a toll according to a recent World Wildlife Fund study. 52% of the wildlife population around the world has disappeared since 1970. Jeez. Wow. That is insane.
3: It is that is insane. Well,
5: there's and like a movie
3: it. coming out about...
1: the kind of echoes this story. Uh, coming out in the beginning of November, it's called Interstellar. It looks phenomenal. Um, you know, they talk about how a lot of the species are gone, and um, Matthew McConaughey's in the movie, and people are trying to look for a new place to live out than Earth. And Pretty interesting. But if this is the way things are going, Steve, I mean,
5: we're not going to have any
1: animals in 20 years. I mean, right? I mean, is that how right. it's going? Right,
5: yeah. Yeah, you look at it that way, you know, If that's half the animals, you know, since 1970. That's unreal. I mean...
1: Yeah. Yeah. Humans are a big problem on this planet. We we need to yeah. be able to spread out or find new ways to coexist with the other animals here. And, uh, you know, it's not working the way we're doing it. So something's got to give...
5: Yeah. We could
1: do a whole show on that topic, that's for sure. Or more.
5: <laughs> yeah. But geez. that was our that was our last story of the night. Okay.
1: And our last story for a while, right? I mean, well, except for uh her history. Why don't we take uh our last uh, trip in the time machine for a while, Steve? What do you say? All
5: right. All right. All right. Here goes the flex capacitor Okay, I went as far back as I could find about a reptile. So July 10th, 1864, the Lockport Journal, which I believe it's Lockport, New York, I tried to find where, but tells the following horrible story. A woman living in Mercer, the wife of Mr. Evers, has for four years been afflicted with a singular difficulty in her stomach. Her complaint was until, within a short time past, baffled the skills of physicians. The complaint commenced about four years ago with a tickling, uneasy sensation about the pit of her stomach. The same sensation was continued to increase in severity from that time a few months since it became the incontrovertible (laughs) Opinion of the most skillful physicians that the increasing difficulty has been the growth of a snake in the stomach. (laughs) It has grown so large now that it distends the stomach so as to produce a bunch up on the outside as large as a quart bowl. Upon pressing the stomach with the hand, The reptile recoils and produces great distress in the stomach. When fish or meat is being cooked in the room, if the snake is not satisfied with food, it rises up in in the throat, producing strangulation. When desiring food, it manifests by raising up in the throat, physicians can see no way in which the snake can be removed without certain death to the woman. (laughs) <laughs> oh my
1: god, that is crazy
5: so,
2: um, Dave, I think you know, Dave, I think you could have been a doctor back then
1: Yeah, well You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of an exiles, exiles episode. <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean That is crazy I mean, you know, they they have there are cape worms living in people That grow to like 20 feet long And they, they exist in people's intestines I mean, a lot of people have them Don't even know they're in there they don't eat through your intestines. What they do is they eat the food that you eat, and they live in your intestines. And I've heard yeah. regurgitating these things. And but I think the snake that they're seeing in her stomach is her own intestines, perhaps. And you know maybe they're seeing that push through the side. Maybe there's something. Maybe there was a tumor pushing the intestines outwards. I don't know. But uh, yeah,
5: I don't know. Well, that was July tenth, eighteen sixty four.
1: Wow. All right. That's a good story to end us with. That was pretty cool. Um yeah. all right, well well what's going on in your collection, Steve? How's everything going with your guys?
5: Um, well you were talking about the uh the market crash earlier in the show here. Mm-hmm. And wait, Steve, let me correct you, the lack of a market crash. Right, yeah. <laughs> I I have been taking advantage of it. So <laughs> Um couple of weeks ago i picked up a leopard mojave um a champagne fire um today ah. i i picked up uh three sub-adult females that will be ready next year a lesser a het pied and a pinstripe het albino and i oh, also cool. picked up yeah i picked up an adult female pastel today and oh and two socata tortoises yesterday so <laughs> oh, oh yeah wow. steve
2: how is was how the show up there
5: uh pretty good actually yeah i I did real good for the last show nice
1: that's cool,
5: yeah,
1: all right, awesome. well, we won't be seeing you next week unless there's some kind of crazy u s fe, I guess, right? We'll talk yeah. more about what
3: you
1: know what we'll be doing in the future, so uh I just wanna. Just seriously, on behalf of the, you know, all the listeners and Tim and it you know, Tim could speak for himself. But I just want to thank you very much for everything that you're doing for the show, and uh, all the effort that you've put into the news so far, and uh, it, it really adds a good element to what we do. So thank you very much, Steve.
5: Oh, thank you, and hopefully this will give me more time to do better videos. So cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: that'd be awesome. All right. Awesome. I, I
5: get. I I gotta get you guys in them though.
1: Uh,
2: yeah, we'll see. Uh, I'll think about that. I think that. Dave Dave's a better actor than I am, so uh, you could you could use him for. <laughs> I was All actually right.
1: in a. I was actually in an independent film once. Like, it was a low budget film, but. Uh, yeah, I'm not really an actor. I've never been trained in acting though, but pretty funny. All right. Well, Steve, we'll let you go. Thank you very much for everything, and uh, we'll talk again soon. All
5: right. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Steve. Take it easy.
1: Okay, folks. We're going to transition into the main part of our show now, and we're going to go ahead and bring on our guest, Kristen Tran of Medusa's Balls. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hi, Chris. Is there?
6: Hi. How are you? Can you guys hear me? We're doing really good. How are you guys?
1: Doing great. Here a little bit of a, uh, I don't know, wind noise. Is there something you can do to clear up the, the quality
6: a little bit? I'm in the Sorry. Okay. I just got inside. Uh, can you hear me better now? Absolutely. Yes.
2: Yeah. That know. sounds much much better.
6: Well first off I just wanted to thank you guys so much for having me on the show. This is such a I don't know, like it's just so great to even be here right now.
2: <laughs> awesome. Well it's we're happy to have you. Yeah. Thank you, uh yeah. thank you for agreeing to do the show, especially on short notice and um you know, and we didn't realize that you were doing a, a reptile show this weekend. It was the San Antonio show, correct?
6: Yes, it was.
2: And that's a two-day show. How did that go for you?
6: Um, It was really awesome. I mean, every show that we do is just kind of great just because we get to, you know, meet all of the other reptile freaks and we get to talk about things that, you know, you can't really talk about in quote-unquote real life to normal people because they'll just kind of look at you weird. So (laughs) it was really good. It was really good. Um, Lots of vendors and the San Antonio show in Texas is actually known for it's HOTS. So there were a lot of vendors that had HOTS there. So that was that's always exciting to see.
2: Yeah, that's definitely something you don't see every day. Um, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself uh, to our audience a little bit. Um, tell us um, a little bit about yourself and, and how you got started in, in Reptile.
6: Okay. Um, well, my name is Kristen Tran, obviously. Um, and i'm twenty six <laughs> I just turned twenty six My birthday was on October sixth, so that's kind of exciting. I'm a year over the you know quarter mark uh but uh yeah, I actually let's see. I went to college at Baylor um but the love for animals and everything stems from way back. I mean, I always loved animals. I always didn't have uh reptiles as pets growing up. Just because, obviously, my parents, you know, thought it was weird and all that, um, but I didn't really sought out for it either. Um, so it kind of just started. My earliest memory of snakes or reptile-related things was my grandma actually read me a book, and it was a book that I I don't I don't really know where it came from because I was so young. I, I may have been like, I mean, I was under ten years old looking at the pictures and she would just point to this one and this one and be like, Ooh, this one's venomous. Ooh, this one's really bad. And, you know, look at how scary this one is. And I just in love, um, snakes were my favorite animals ever since, ever since I could remember. And I think a lot of it had to do ironically with my parents, um, you know, when we were in church and stuff, cause they were pretty religious, um, They're Catholic. I was raised Catholic. And uh, they would be like, yeah, snakes are the sign of the devil. You know, Uh, Mary steps on the snake, like that's the statue and all this. And I just remember thinking that's not fair because, you know, Satan actually chose to be a snake. Like it wasn't the snake's fault. So I just viewed it as a misunderstood creature from a very young age. And for some reason, I guess I was drawn to that (laughs) because we all feel misunderstood, you know, when we're children, maybe. Um, but, yeah, I was always fascinated with it. I loved watching National Geographic and Animal Planet, you know, back when um, it was – what's his name? I know Steve Irwin, but there was another one. Jeff Corwin. Oh, my gosh. I loved Jeff Corwin. Is that a, that's his name right? Jeff Corwin?
3: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely.
6: Okay, yeah. I remember it as a child. I told myself I wanted to marry Jeff Corwin because I thought he was so hot. <laughs>
3: <laughs>
6: I remember during an episode, I spotted his wedding ring, and I was really sad about it. <laughs> so, um, but I actually didn't own my first reptile or my first snake until I was twenty-one. Yeah, so it's it's it hasn't really been that long. Um, but that's what but really got me started. Definitely grown, body.
2: It's definitely grown fast for you, then, huh?
6: Yeah, it was like on steroids. Yeah, it, I got bit by the bug, and, man, it was it was horrible. I mean, it's wonderful at the same time. Um, so what happened was uh, I had all types of animals growing up. I had birds, fish, I had two dogs, um, just all, all the, you know, gerbils, all the cute stuff. And then on my 21st birthday, I said, I'm going to get a snake. It's my favorite animal. I've had all these other animals. I'd like to, you know, branch out and try something new. And believe it or not, I was deathly afraid of them. Yeah, just, I thought they were all, yeah, I thought they were all venomous. Not all of them, but the majority of them, I thought they were venomous. I thought, you know, they would, like, strike at you and bite you a lot, and they were just all mean. Like, I just really, I don't know, I was fascinated by them. I watched, you know, National Geographic and stuff, and, they would always showcase, like, oh, the black mamba or, like, the 12 deadliest snakes of Africa or something, you know. So I had that kind of idea about them. So I did my research. I did a lot of research. I remembered I had um, notebooks, like those cheap notebooks you buy at Walmart, and mm-hmm. I would just write all this information that I would learn, like, what I needed for them and everything, because I didn't think that I would ever breed snakes. Like, that's that's weird, like I didn't even that's not even an idea. Um, I just wanted a pet snake, and mm-hmm. so it was between a corn snake and a ball python, and eventually, I convinced myself that I would get a ball python, and I told myself, if I'm gonna get a ball python and I'm only gonna have one snake and they live for so <laughs> long, it's gotta be yeah. awesome,, yeah. <laughs> So I did my research. <laughs> And while doing my research, I discovered the world of morphs and all this craziness. I was on Nerd's webpage trying to memorize, like, what made what. And at the time, I didn't really know how much they were going for. Um, And so, yeah. But I picked out my favorites. And one of my favorites was the spider. And uh, and then I went, I looked up the expo near me and I'm from Houston, Texas so there was a repticon in Pasadena uh, and I went and I had a budget of $200 and I bought my first snake. It was a spider. Male spider.
2: That's awesome. So you really went about it in a very intelligent way and you you planned out, you did your research and that's um, very rare to hear I think. I don't think I've ever heard someone tell, you know, their, their introduction to reptiles and the reptile hobby like that. Um, it's of course what oh, we yeah. recommend mm-hmm. to, to newcomers. Um, it, it's great to, uh, do your research and, and know what you're getting into and, and be prepared, but you actually went about it the, the right way. So that's, that's awesome to hear. And so how did, um, how did it feel, you know, coming home with, with the spider, what, what you've, you obviously wanted to have for a long time.
6: Oh, gosh, I was so nervous. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Well, looking back, it's crazy. I mean, I had everything set up, too. I forgot to mention that. Funny story, I was living with my parents at the time because I was going to community college and all that stuff, you know, trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up, even though I was grown-up. And (laughs) I had ordered a terrarium, those ExoTerra terrariums. It was like a 12-by-12-inch terrarium. And it shipped in, and my mom was like, oh, what's that? Because she was like, no snakes, no snakes. Even to this day, she's like, no snakes. And um, and I was like, oh, it's a fish tank. (laughs) She's like, oh, okay. And it, like, opened from the front, and she was just oblivious to it. Um, So that, I kept it. I didn't have a tub or anything like that, so I just did that heat pad on the bottom, you know. And I even used, like, an overhead lamp, which is kind of overkill, but – so I had everything set up, and uh, but yeah, it felt awesome. But it was very nerve wracking. It wasn't like getting a gerbil or a rabbit, because it's a snake. Like it's not fluffy and warm, you know. And uh, but I remember buying it. I wish I could remember who the vendor was, but yeah, I remember holding one, and it was wrapping around my hand, and I was freaking out because I'm like, what is it doing? And the guy said, oh, he's just, you know, it doesn't have hands, so it's got to use its muscles to move around. And I just said, okay, let's do it. But before I got the spider, I remember I was so in love with the butters and lessers. Little did I know, like it was way out of my price range back then, that I would go to each vendor and be like, do you have any butters? You know, not even knowing what one really looks like, you know, in person. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I was really excited. And I even bought a... uh And they put it in those little belly cups that you take home. And I was like, oh, my gosh, it doesn't have heat. And so I actually went and bought a, I don't know what you call those, like a a cooler? Like a lunchbox type Mm -hmm. thing? Yeah. Yeah, we did that just so that it would hopefully hold the heat in or something. So I was just super paranoid for my pet snake. And I named him Trouser. So, get it, you know?
3: <laughs> That's funny. Charles Tra-
6: yep. or snake, you know? <laughs> yep. So, I was I was so excited. And, yeah, and so that, well, I okay, so I took it home, all that great stuff, and then I kept doing more research. And I remembered I was, you know how people ask, is this a normal? You know, is, this, is mine a normal or is it something else? I was just so fascinated at how, at how beautiful a simple spider was, and they are. And I just remember thinking, it's got to be a fire spider or something because it's so pretty. <laughs> so I did more research, and then I realized that if you take a, a spider to a pastel, you get a bee. And if you take a spider to a lesser, you get a lesser bee. And I think, if I remember correctly at the time, lesser bees were going for 1200 bucks. And, yep. That's what happened, and then ever since then, I was like, "Oh my gosh, I have to make that. I can't afford it. I'd like to make it." And so the following summer, I dropped four hundred bucks on a little itty bitty female lesser, and I also bought a pastel, and then, you know, the rest is history. So.
2: And then you were off to the races. That's cool.
6: <laughs> yeah, but actually, I didn't start acquiring and breeding until way later on because I, I, um, I transferred to Baylor University to finish off, you know, my education and everything. And so I had a horrible roommate. I would so say her name right now, but that's just not professional. Um, But (laughs) she was awful. And uh, she did not like my animals, even though she never saw them. I actually kept them in tanks, believe it or not, in my closet. And so, and I know that's probably not the best practice, you know, because if people are afraid of them, you shouldn't hide them, but nobody ever found out. And uh, was that...
2: Was that in a dorm room, or did you have an
6: apartment? Um, actually, an apartment. I don't think I could have pulled that off in a dorm room. No. Nope. But, uh, no, yeah, I was in an not. apartment. <laughs> yeah, so we didn't get random checks or anything, but I was definitely very adamant about, uh, you know, them giving me a 24-hour notice just if they needed to come into my house or anything like that. Um, but it, it came with its own complications because I was using – a heat lamp and a heating heating pad underneath. At the time, um, and I swear, the two apartments that I stayed at, I burned the carpet because the heat lamp was <laughs> on the carpet. Yeah, the first time I was a little inebriated, so I, I give it that. <laughs> it's college, but the second time I don't know how it happened, and I was I was able to patch it up and everything, so I didn't lose my deposit. But gosh, it made me so mad. <laughs>
3: So
1: you never had any snakes
6: um, uh, escape while you were there? No, never did. I I definitely, I had, um, even though they were in tanks, which I know was kind of frowned upon. Uh, But back then, you know, I, I never, you know, I'm in college. I'm working two jobs and trying to eat anything but ramen. I can't afford, like, a rack system. But I definitely invested on, well, it's not really that expensive, on, like, clamps for your... For your screen top uh, for the tanks. Mm-hmm.
3: Yep, yep. Yeah.
6: Yeah, and then I would put books on top of it, you know, just to okay. be sure, because that would be horrible. But no, never, none escaped. And so I had the three snakes. I had Trouser, which was my spider, a Lesser and a Pastel, and then. But I would go to reptile shows just to look. And I remember the pain was real. Like, you know, you really wanted to buy something, but you knew you couldn't. Um, But towards the end of my stay, uh, in college, I did buy uh, my first two-gene snake ball python uh, from Brandon Bokey of Priceless Python. He's an awesome guy. And, uh, yeah, and I didn't tell my roommate about that one because she was like, no more snakes, you know. Like, you have three. Oh, my God, that's crazy. You know, so, (laughs) yeah. So that was a graduation I would a gift myself. By
5: roommate.
6: You know, I wish I did, to be honest, because she got a dog and she didn't even ask me. And it wasn't even like a little itty bitty cute dog. She she adopted this huge dog that she had to end up like giving away or something. It was oh I, I just hate her. And I'm not a hateful <laughs> person, but. <laughs> she's top three on my I hate you list, you know?
1: <laughs>
6: but, do you still yeah. have any of those
1: first snakes that you, had, that you bought?
6: I still do. I can't ever get rid of Trouser, ever. Um, he's just just a male spider, you know? Uh, I, I still think spiders are great, but, um, but yeah, I mean, like, he did breed for me. My first pairing that I ever did, uh, was and uh and I still have him to this day. I mean, I think if I ever got rid of him just because of his genetics isn't as desirable, I would kind of lose you know if my true passion was all about, you know what I mean? I'm
2: I'm yeah. the same way. I'm very uh sentimental with the animals and uh one of my few uh regrets in life is that um I don't have um offspring from from my original leopard gecko um oh. that I got that I got so long ago, you know. It's um I guess it's uh like 24 years ago I got it wow. and um and I can't believe that I didn't keep any of her offspring um you know, for the, for that reason like I, I'm sentimental with them and uh, I totally agree with you and how you feel about your, your first snake. Uh, Kristen, so yeah. tell us you know, how you kind of, you know, I, I imagine that when you graduated from college, your um, your collection kind of grew and grew and grew.
6: It exploded. All those years of my parents saying no snakes and uh, all <laughs> and your that. Roommate. Oh, oh yeah, and her. Um, and of course it, you know, we all have to admit, like, this hobby is is, is pretty expensive to keep up with. Uh, but, uh, yeah, actually, after I graduated, I got a big girl job. Yay. And I remember, let's see, what happened first? Did I buy my first animal plastics rack or? No, I bought a few more snakes and then I bought the rack. That's right. But yeah, after I graduated, I remembered um, going to NARBC for the first time, because I was in Austin, and so that's a bit of a drive. I mean, it's like three hours. It's not bad. But I never wanted to go to a show if I didn't want to buy something, because it, it got to the point where it was painful to just look, you know, because you're like, oh my gosh, I I want this so bad that I can't. But anyway, so I got my, I got a job, got a place to live, all that great stuff, and it would and i was actually renting a small house out in bastrop texas and i it was nice cuz i didn't have roommates or anything but of course i had a landlord so that was a little difficult to hide a snake wrap. um but i spent a paycheck on at the show and it was it was great but i was uh i really realized how deep i was into it cuz i mean I'm a girl, but I don't like shoes or clothes or purses and stuff. And it's it's okay if you do. That's cool. But my whole thing is, is snakes. Like, yeah. And so I, I accepted the fact that I was an addict. <laughs> so it was great.
2: And um, I imagine since you did all that research before you got your first snake, that you also um – started researching and did a lot of research about breeding. Um, tell us some of your yeah. early experiences with uh, breeding your snakes.
6: Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, I have females up to size, and and uh, actually, like, okay, so I have females up to size and everything, and I think then I wasn't really into all the Facebook groups, I don't know if they existed back then or not. I'm sure they did. They probably existed for as long as um Facebook was around, but for some reason I never, you know, I just kind of kept to myself and everything. Um but I did a lot of research. Did everything. One of the greatest websites is uh Marcus Jane. He has like a breeding pictorial. Oh my gosh, I still look at that to this day. Like it has pictures and everything. It's very helpful. Did all my research, got all my stuff together. I got an incubator first, even before I started pairing everything. Um, And I had females that were ready to breed, but I did not want to breed them because it would have been my first time, and I didn't want to mess that up. You know. Uh, So what I did was I bought a normal, a normal breeding size female, and then trouser my spider. Uh, was gonna be the male, and so because at this point I realized, you know, I got all these other females. I I wouldn't ever breed him to them because I didn't want to make the lesser bee anymore. I didn't want to make the bumblebee anymore. Uh, but yeah, but I I knew like he had to get something. Like he had to breed at least once in his life or something. And so I bred those two together, and and that was my first trial. And I did everything by that pictorial guide of breeding with, uh, the Marcus Jane one. And even then I think I'll ever feel this again, but the first time you ever breed like your first season, it's very nerve wracking because every female is different. They all have kind of a blueprint of what it's supposed to look like, but you can pair a snake and then a month later, ovulation, there you go. Um, and then some take, take longer. And so that was really hard, because you think you see it, you question yourself, and it was something that I was very passionate about, so I would check on them all the time, I would record the locks, uh, the locks, you know, when their tails get together and all that, so it was really exciting, and she gave me seven eggs, I got three spiders, and the rest were normals, so it wasn't the best odds, but I still have um, a baby from that clutch, and I actually held back a normal female out of all of them. Because I picked the favorite one because I would candle them. And for some reason, I know it sounds really stupid, but I was like, that's my favorite egg. And whichever one comes out of that one, I'm going to keep. I don't care what it is. And it was a normal female. so, And I still have her. So, yeah.
1: That's awesome. I'm very sentimental, too. I have all kinds of geckos and stuff from projects that, You know, like the first one of this project, and you know, they genetically they don't really do too much for me now that
4: the Uh
3: project's
1: advanced further. But you know, I still feel like you know, keeping that first one and stuff. You know, it's just it's just I don't know. I I totally get yeah. For some reason, you you just have
6: some kind of weird bond to it. Right,
1: it's weird. Right.
6: Yeah, and it doesn't have to be like a four gene something. I mean, it's just something you like and. I think a lot of people lose sight of that nowadays. And, hey, don't get me wrong, if you want to give me a four-gene animal, I'll, I'll take it. But, so <laughs> you know, sometimes, like, it's okay to be drawn to, like, oh, this is a normal and it looks amazing, you know? Yeah. I like it. Yeah.
1: yeah. I'm looking on your Facebook page and your cover photo um, has those eggs with the little heads popping out. It looks to me like you didn't um, – Go ahead and pip the eggs, as some ball python breeders do. Do you, do you? Can you tell us a little bit about what pipping is? And do you pip?
6: <laughs> Me, uh, I I try to, but it doesn't work out. Just because I'm very impatient. Uh, well, you know, if I if I don't remember that they're in the incubator, like if I'm busy with life and all its stresses, then it's then it's good. But sometimes, like. I look at my calendar for some reason on my phone and I'm like, "Oh my gosh, we are on day 55." You know, <laughs> um and there's lots of methods of doing it. Uh a lot of a lot of breeders that I highly respect um recommend not to cut until the first one tips. Mm-hmm. Um and then I've also okay. heard day, yeah, day 55 to 60 is if you have to cut then cut then um, okay. But me personally, I had a clutch this season that I let tip naturally, just because I was running a contest on it. The first one tips, you know, if you pick an egg, you get it kind of thing. So I can't really cut that one, even though I, I wanted to. Um,
3: <laughs> but
6: the rest of my stuff, I have cut them. Yeah, on day uh, on day fifty five.
1: Okay, yeah. so like for people that are new to ball pythons uh tipping is when you prematurely cut open the egg you know not allowing the baby to hatch on its own you actually go ahead and make the exit hole for the for the baby snake right and then it uh you know comes out on its own or is that Uh, oh yeah i didn't
6: like directly answer your question um yeah you take like a, a razor um but cutting it may look very easy but it definitely is uh I mean, you don't want to you don't want to hurt the the baby inside, and uh, but yeah, you would pinch because when the eggs are ready, they start to dimple or dent in and inflate. And so what I do is you you know you don't want to cut a vein. I've heard that if you cut a vein, it's okay. I I personally don't like that because there's blood everywhere and that can't be good. Um, so what I do right. is I get an LED flashlight and I shine it on the egg and try to see. Where the veins are, like where the major veins are, and then I'll I'll kind of cut there. You could just kind of pinch it a little bit and take a razor and just snip it just a little bit. Um, I wouldn't do it too much, just enough to know what you got. And then I let the babies crawl out on their own. And there's actually I've heard that there's yeah there's lots of benefits to cutting as well because you I have never had it happen to me. Knock on wood, but. the babies can kind of like, you know, what do they call it, like the the cord can get wrapped around their necks and stuff like that, which would actually kill them, or it's very rare, but um, I've heard that some babies don't develop the egg tooth, and so they can't cut themselves out, Um, but again, that's very rare, so everybody just has their way of doing it, and there's really no wrong way, just benefits and downfalls to both, I guess
2: and and basically yeah. um for for people that aren't really familiar with what we're talking about it's um you know because these snakes are in captivity um you know in in the wild, perhaps you know if the snake didn't have an it didn't develop an egg tooth or or something happened um that conditions weren't just right the the snake would just die, but in captivity, you know we try to have a a perfect hatch rate and and have the mm-hmm. most um survive out of every clutch. And um as Kristen described, she's you know, tries to do it um with the least amount of intrusion and uh, possible harm to the to the neonate snake inside the egg. And um but at the same time there are other breeders and you can go on YouTube and watch videos um of people that literally will slice eggs open with a razor blade and rip the snake out of the egg to see, you know, the yeah. morph or the sex. And then, um you know so it's a very you know obviously those breeders are experienced and and haven't had any you know detriment that they attribute to the way they handle the eggs, but um I would definitely err on the side of caution as Kristen does, and just um kind of give give the snake a little bit of a of an opportunity to escape the egg um I've also heard it it could be a possibility um that the females you know maybe put too much calcium into the eggs because they're in captivity and they don't have a perfect diet um, thus making the egg you know harder and harder for this baby snake to escape from um after it uh it's been after it's been developing and um so um do you so you said you you definitely wouldn't um cut an egg before day fifty five is that correct? for the ball
6: python like uh personally or
2: oh like i wouldn't cut
6: before day 55 i don't think i know people cut early and i know you can do it the question that you have to ask yourself really and even me cutting at day 55 i still don't know what i get because the snake is like upside down so (laughs) you know (laughs) um My whole rule of thumb is day 55 if you can. I mean, the earlier you do it, just got to remind yourself that, uh, you know, it could do more harm than than good. And is that a risk, you know, you want to take? And then if something does happen, you're going to be kicking yourself. Like, darn, I should have waited. So I I would say day 55 to day 60, closer to day 60 to be safe. If you have the power within you, to wait for the first one to tip, that would be the best thing to do. I'm not going to sit here and lie, that yeah. that's what I do. That's what I'd like to do, <laughs> but it's kind of hard when you come home from work and you had a bad day and you're like, you know what, they're on day 57. I've waited as long as I could. I'm just going to cut them, you know. Uh, so, so, yeah,
1: right.
6: but day 55. And, and,
1: and your incubation temperatures have to be uh, pretty pretty steady for for you to be confident in in cutting them at any, you know, at, at day 55 or over. I mean, you know, some some people that are using cheap incubators have fluctuations in temperatures and stuff, and, you know, that could prolong the development of some of these snakes, I would think, right?
6: Yeah, definitely. Actually, this year, um, I incubated at lower tents, and so I was, uh, I mean... You know, at lower temps, they develop a little slower, but they're, from what I've heard, is they come out bigger and fatter. And so I tried and knew it was great and everything, but in relation to what you were saying, yeah, that they could have actually, you know, instead of cutting at day 59, incubated at 89 degrees, me cutting at day 55 at 87 degrees could have actually been, you know, like day fifty three or something in development, yeah so, right? kind, of, so, kind of,
2: so kind of premature,
6: yeah, a little bit, but um, but I've heard of people cutting way earlier i I would just never imagine, but uh, but yeah, that's just my rule,
2: okay, great, uh, Kristen, we're gonna get into some more uh detail about um how you keep uh your ball pythons and some of your upcoming projects, but um We're already at the halfway point of the show, so we're going to go ahead and and take a break. And um, everybody stay tuned. Everybody stay tuned, and uh, we'll have Kristen back after the break.
1: All right, here we go. Check out our amazing sponsors.
0: Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types, from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at geckoboa.com and on Facebook. Rainbow Mealworms is the largest worm grower in the world and selling to the public since 1956. If you need the highest quality mealworms, superworms, and crickets for your pets, contact them at www.rainbowmealworms.net. Ron Tremper is the biggest contributor to leopard gecko morph making, known worldwide for his amazing examples of living art. You can now download his leopard gecko care app, his morph encyclopedia app called Leopard Gecko Pro, and visit his site, leopardgecko.com to see where morphs are made. GiantLeopardGecko.com specializes in giant and supergiant leopard geckos with a focus on selectively bred exceptional lines of many different morph combinations, including high-end African fat tails and crested geckos. With over 17 years of experience in herpeticulture, Keith Kiggins brings you quality, integrity, and value. Check out GiantLeopardGecko.com on the web and on Facebook. Supreme Gecko is a great source for crested geckos, day geckos, and other species, including micro geckos. Wally Kern is a top-notch breeder and gecko enthusiast. Visit SupremeGecko.com for his available animals and supplies. abdragons.com is your source for the highest quality dubia roaches. Whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps,
3: abdragons.com can be
0: beat in quality or price. They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt reptile heat tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook.
1: That's right, folks. Make sure you use the code GECKO, the old in caps at checkout for 5% off your order.
4: Uh, All right,
1: we are back in our second half of tonight's show with Kristen Tran of Medusa's uh, Balls. So we're going to go ahead and bring... Kristen, back on the air. All right, Kristen, you're back with us. And, uh, hi. Hi. What do you say? Uh, yeah. Why don't we Why don't we talk a little bit about uh, your husbandry and and breeding of ball pythons for people that are considering getting involved with that? Um, what, what do you keep your snakes in these days? I'm sure you've transitioned away from fish tanks, right?
6: Oh yeah, yeah. Definitely. I do not have a bunch of tanks anymore. Huh. Um. So husbandry. Let's see. Sorry, it's just outside and it was really cold. Uh, even though in Texas, it's probably not that cold. I think it's like seventies right now. But um, oh, that's anyways, nice. anyways, I'm I'm all shaking. I'm like, oh, it's cold. Um, I have my snakes in a rack system. I think if uh, well, it depends. Like, you have a lot of questions to ask yourself. If you want to become a you know, if you want to breed snakes, um the first question I'd ask myself is do I want to breed a lot of snakes or do I just want to breed these two pet snakes that I have? Um, and I think a lot of what people are going for is they want to do a lot of breedings. They want to make a lot of cool morphs and combos and all that great stuff. And so the first thing I definitely would advise uh, advise as a person who's starting off is patience. Patience is – it's horrible, but you, you just gotta have it because um, it takes a very long time to kind of build up everything. And uh, so, yeah. anyways, the question is, what? Keep, what do you like? Keep them in? Yeah, let's uh, talk about uh, how I keep you them keep in a, them. a rack system. I have mm-hmm. animal plastic racks. I've also uh, purchased racks from Jason Miller. He's he's more local, but. He's a JPM reptile. He has, he has a page and everything. His racks are really great, too. Um, but I mm-hmm. find that rack systems are just so much easier to keep and breed the ball pythons in. Because if you think about it, ball pythons, you know, in the wild, they go down a rat burrow, they eat the rat, and then they just stay there. And it's a really small space, and it's dark. Um, so a rack system can provide all of that. Not saying that you can't breed them in tanks, but... I don't know. I just prefer to have all my snakes in, in the best that I think it is for them. Um, so I bring mm-hmm. them in, within the rack systems.
1: Okay. Yeah, cool. And, you know, during the – during the I guess it's cooler in Texas. Like up here in Pennsylvania, it's like – today's like the coldest day we've had. It's like 37 or something. It's freezing up. But, oh, uh,
6: really? I'm complaining about 70s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: don't complain. It's a so nice down there. I wish I was that. But, uh, but it's windy. Yeah, like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, the snakes, they, they really can sense the change in season. Well, even if you don't necessarily live in a colder climate, um, they're kind of programmed um, yeah. to, to to know these things, mm-hmm. right?
6: Yeah. Oh, are you asking, like, how do I prepare for breeding season? Well, for, well, that
1: was going to be my next question. Yeah, like, what do you do this okay. time of year differently than you would do during, like, the summer months?
6: Um, well, this time of year... While pythons, you can breed them year-round. But a lot of breeders, this is the breeding season. And what a lot of breeders will do is they will uh, lower the temps a little bit. Um, So during the daytime, I mean, there's so many ways of doing it. I've heard of breeders saying, I just pull the plug on my rack, you know, and there you go, constant all the time. Um, I personally do the normal hot spot during the day. And then Mm -hmm. at night, I'll go down. So 89 during the hot spot, or the hot spot during the day, and then nights I will do 80, 85, somewhere around there. Um, and then also other breeders have just simply relied on, you know, the ambient temperature of the rooms going down. And some breeders they don't even, they don't even do a cooling season, and they still have great success. So, you know, I feel like. We may overanalyze things, or or maybe it's just simpler than we think. But it just kind of depends on you know personal preference. But you're absolutely right. Like during the seasons and everything, I think the the snakes just kind of realize it. Um, I think yeah, you know they can sense it with the the temperatures, like just the ambient temperatures, and then you know the day daylight cycles. You know when you open a door, they can just sense sense it in the air. You know, so.
1: Oh, yeah. It sounds kind of silly, but... No, I mean, even in a rack system where they don't have light, they know night and day, like, if there's a window in the room, um, they're going to see the light change. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and they'll sense it. They'll sense other things, too. And I Um, I
6: forgot what the word is, but they sense, like, the pressure in the air between the Yeah,
1: barometric pressure,
6: yeah. That's the word. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and then they sense that. I mean, just by you going in and out of your house and then opening their room, they sense that as well. So I don't really know what makes them tick. For me I I've, I've always lowered the temps like that, like during the day, during the night, kind of thing. And so I just keep doing that, but it really just depends on what works for the individual.
1: One of the main uh hold on one second, say one of the main problems some people face with uh ball pythons is uh they're not always wanting to eat. Yeah, have you ever experienced uh-huh. that?
6: I how have. Do you, how do you
1: how do you work with that? How
6: do you fix that? Well, patience is one, <laughs> and mainly the the key thing is that they're known to be picky eaters. Then I just definitely keep. Of course, it's very frustrating when you're trying to get like a female up to weight or something. But um, in general, if you have a pet snake, it's not eating. Um, if you first bought it from a show, then I would definitely give it a few days to a week to kind of adjust. But the first thing I I would do is I would check the husbandry of your pet. Like, if you, you know, like, does it need a hide? What did I do different? Because I've had some snakes to wear. Um, I would keep them in a shoebox-sized tub, and I'm like, okay, you're getting fat. We need to move you to a bigger tub. I move them to a bigger tub, and then they stop eating. So, yeah. Then I'm like, okay, so it was the change that happened. Move them back to that regular tub, and then they pick up again. So I'm like, all right, well, you you like the smaller tub, that's fine. You know, one day you're going to have to move up, but for now it's not that bad kind of thing. So it could be a change of environment for me. Um, and sometimes what I've noticed is ball pythons will go on, like, a strike around 500 grams, give or take, and then another strike around 1,000 grams, give or take and uh, and I just say that's normal. um, I'll still offer them food, uh, and if they don't eat, then I just offer it again whenever it's time to offer it again, but definitely keep an eye on its weight. If you have a ball python that's not eating but is losing weight and looking a little, then that's when I would start to worry but i just I just wait it out as long as the the animal still looks healthy. I've had one snake not eat for a few months, and I was pretty frustrated with it, and uh, it still looked fine. It actually still shed. So I was like, okay, that's that's just your choice. Um, I'll start worrying about you when I start seeing a lot of weight loss and all that. And then just one day she just decided to eat, and she eats every time I offer now. I don't know why she stops, but, you know, it's just what they do.
2: I actually had a a ball python, um... That was, you know, it was 20 years ago, so it was when they, they were all pretty much uh, wild-caught, imported adults. And um, she went, I believe it was a year at least without eating and then wow. started eating. And and over that year, she still had, like, a healthy body weight. Like, she wasn't totally em- emaciated. Um, she was still active at times. And it was just incredible to see something like that where it was had gone so long without food and it was still healthy. And then she started That's eating. Crazy. It, was, it was as if, you know, nothing was wrong. It was as if it was totally normal.
6: It makes you wonder what's going through their mind, right? Maybe, you know, she was depressed from not being in the wild anymore. <laughs> I don't um, know. She
2: did, she did have parasites. She had external parasites oh. and um, we didn't know whether she had internal or not, but we did treat her for internal uh-huh. parasites, and it was shortly after that that she started eating. So that's a possibility, oh, wow. but again, we don't know. And back then, you know, it was very elementary, you know, to just kind of, yeah. you know, it wasn't even worth yeah. going to a vet because that knew nothing about sleep back then. Yeah. So we kind of right. just took a shot, a shot in the dark, and it and it worked.
6: That's crazy. I did you have to take her anywhere to give her the shot or did you just do it?
2: We um we took her to a pet store. We were lucky enough to have a local pet store that was um uh you know, that the the owner um had some experience with reptiles and and had mm-hmm. a lot of exotics in the store and and he just did it for us. It was just um I don't know if it was flagel um, or Panicure, uh, but it was okay. probably one of those two that he just, you know, gave orally and, and, oh, okay. um, and then she started eating uh, soon after that.
6: And I do wonder if it was just a trip to the store because um, I've heard that if you have a ball python that's fasting or is being weird out of the blue, not eating, um, you can move it from one compartment to the rack to another or if you have a tank, move it from one side of the room to another, and and they just pick up again, you know, or vice versa, or they stop, you know. So I don't know. I've wondered.
2: And yeah, and it's uh, it's it's very interesting, you know. As you said, some do it, some don't. Um, tell us a little bit about how you have your reptile room set up, and um, okay, and how you how you keep your reptile room in terms of uh, temperatures or lighting.
6: Yeah, I um, everything's in a rack system. So, and I use Herpstat. I swear by it. I've never used any other thermostat to really know, but gosh, I love the Herpstat. It's very easy to use, and so I use that to control. And I do a 89 degree hotspot. Um, and I live in a house now. I bought my house. geez, when did I buy a house? I think was it last year? No. oh, Okay, so it was a little over a year ago. So that's been amazing. I don't have to really deal with the landlord anymore. I'm my own landlord, so (laughs) it's great. Yeah, I used to have them in the kitchen, my racks in the kitchen, just because I wanted to see them all the time. And then I moved it to one of the spare bedrooms. Um, So how I have my stuff set up is I have my main collection in a spare bedroom. Um, And with all the racks and stuff, it does kind of heat up the the room. So I think it's great. So I just close the door and it stays nice and humid in the entire room. Um, The ambient temperature in the room is about, I think, 85, 85, 86. And then, then of course, they have the belly heat that's at 89. Um, And then recently my roommate, I had a friend that was running a room out. um, She moved in with her boyfriend. So I have two spare bedrooms and, uh, so everyone's like, yeah, you have a guest bedroom. I'm like, wrong. I am turning that into a quarantine room. Um, so I think that's, that's going to be awesome. Uh, yeah, I used to quarantine and I'm very, I wish I had, I'm more strict with myself with the quarantining stuff because I do quarantine and I highly recommend quarantining. Um, But I wish I had a garage or something that was, like, separate from the house, but my house doesn't have a garage. I used to quarantine at my boyfriend's house just because I'm really paranoid. I mean, people are like, oh, yeah, mites are horrible. I'm like, I don't – I mean, mites suck, but there's so many viruses out there that are 10 billion times worse than mites. Um, And I would just die if if something happened to my collection.
1: Yeah, let him deal with it, right?
6: No, he doesn't have snakes. <laughs> he doesn't have snakes. So it's great. And he lives, like, 30 minutes away. So I'm just like, can I just keep the snake over here for, you know, a long time? Um, so it was great. Cause but, unfortunately, I mean, I'm not going to, like, make this story a sad sob story. But we broke up recently. So, um, <laughs> so I don't have that anymore. But if you're starting off and you want to quarantine um, and you have a garage or something separate, from the same living space, I would do that just because you can't be too safe. Um, so now that I don't have that access anymore, it would be kind of awkward to be like, hey, I know we broke up, but can I <laughs> keep my animals at your house? Um, uh, I have the extra spare bedroom to where I'll be quarantining the animals. So I have two bedrooms, so I'm going to start doing that now.
2: Well, you're lucky because yeah. a lot of people don't even uh, can't even quarantine their their new animals, uh, you know, that far away. Some people have to do it right in their reptile room. So it's great mm-hmm. that you, um, that you have your own house to, uh, to do that with. Yeah.
3: Um,
2: so, uh, what kind, do you, do you actually, um, keep an air conditioner or a heater, um, for the ambient temperature as well in your reptile room?
6: I do not. Um, it's so just the, the racks, the racks mm-hmm. keep
2: the the room ambient temperature at a,
6: yeah. At the racks themselves. It does. Um I mean I would never if I were to unplug the racks then then the ambient temperature would be cool just like the rest of the house, but since I just close off that room, it stays pretty humid. Pretty humid in there. Yeah.
2: That's uh you're you're very lucky. <laughs> <laughs> we have to uh course we have to heat our rooms just uh to keep the ambient at a decent uh temperature. Mind, really? Uh, you're, you're spoiled. Well,
6: what what temperature do you keep your house at?
2: I actually, I keep my reptiles uh, warmer than I than I keep my son.
6: Wow. <laughs> oh. Well, I mean, like, do you like low temperatures in your house, or like, um, what do you have your thermostat set at?
2: Now, I keep my reptile room ambient at about. Uh, it, it varies a little bit between about seventy-two and, and seventy-four.
6: Oh, okay. Hmm. Is your reptile but, yeah, but, room like separate like, from your house?
2: No, it's just um right now it's just my my basement, but um my oh, like okay. my bedroom right now gets down to like sixty at night.
6: Oh my goodness, that's probably what it <laughs> is. Like I think it's your uh, reptile room is trying to fight your your AC. Cause see, I guess I'm like a cold blooded person or something. Cause I I like seventy nine at for my air conditioner, <laughs> I get cold really easily, so maybe that's how I'm able to keep the reptile room at like eighty something <laughs> yeah that's, yeah so you,
2: i can't you have it go below seventy
6: eight huh
2: <laughs> so it's perfect down there,
6: yeah, pretty much because <laughs> i I can't go go below seventy eight cool yeah and do you, that's, that's too cold. do you
2: um do any uh changes in with the light? Or um, does the room get natural sunlight?
6: Yeah, the room that they're in has two windows, so they get their their natural mm-hmm, their natural light.
2: Nice. Um, so tell us. Um, I know you you started talking about it a little bit before the break, but um, kind of tell us a little bit about what you um, do now that the uh, the breeding season is starting in terms of dropping temperatures. Um, what exactly, uh, how do you go about that? Uh,
6: well, what I'm doing is, well, I haven't, so far, the only cooling that I've done is with the ambient room temperature, um, work's been kind of crazy, so I haven't really had breeding on my mind too much. I know it's breeding season and already I'm like, wow, it's already been a year, oh my goodness, um, So, actually, after this weekend, I was going to start pairing um, and then actually setting. Because I feel like the ambient room temperature being, like, lower than it normally is because I've actually turned off my AC in the house because Texas has been not as hot as it usually is. So, I just kind of, I'm like, okay, well, this is nice. I can save money on the electric bill. And, you know, and I I don't even need to, you know, use my AC because it won't go below. um, Or actually, what am I saying? Yeah, it won't go above 79 now. Um, so, yeah, so the sink room has been a little bit cooler than usual. And uh, what I have been doing lately is I cycle the air out. So I have a little window fan. I kind of just crack a window and put the fan on and just kind of cycle the air out um, every day. And uh, and that keeps it kind of nice and cool. Um, I also have rats in the room, too, and that's what, also why I'm doing it. Because I just kind of moved everything since my roommate moved out. So I have the rats and the snakes in one room, the main collection in one room. And so I cycle the air out. Um, and actually coming back from this weekend, because I'm located out of Austin, um, coming back from the show, I will probably start pairing them up this week, maybe later on in the week, depending on how crazy my work schedule is. Uh and yeah, and hopefully I'll see some locks or something. If I don't see some locks, then I think I'm gonna set the thermostat to, you know, the high and low cycle, maybe, kind of get them going or something. But. but yeah. Nice.
2: And um, and do you take uh your males and introduce them to the females, or do you do the opposite? I
6: I introduce the males to the females. Um. Yeah, I don't know why I just. I guess maybe I just always did it like that. So, um, and I've heard it, I've heard it go both ways, but um, I'll introduce him to her, uh, and usually I do it. I like to I like to give her a meal, and then I'll introduce him. I've heard I don't know where I heard it from, but I heard that it kind of like stimulates the male to be like, "Oh, okay, here we go." I don't know. I just kind of maybe I'm weird. <laughs> I like to do that, <laughs> um, and well, of course. It- yeah.
2: I was just going to say if it, if it works it works. So
6: Yeah, maybe it's kind of like her like, "Oh, you took me out to dinner." Okay. I feel a little <laughs> bit more receptive to you. You know, I'll start wagging my tail.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
6: so So yeah.
2: And um do you so how many locks do you like to see um or will you just uh continue um introducing uh the males and females until you see an ovulation
6: uh, locks I don't really count them via locks um, I just introduce them until I until I see really good signs and then I'll kind of slow down but I usually do um, what is it? is it two days no I do three days in and I think two days out or is it three and three I have to look back I kind of forget these things but, yeah, I'll do, like, two to three days in and then two to three days out where the male, like, rests and eats and does what he needs to do um, until I start seeing really good signs from the female. Then I then I am a little bit more lenient. But it's still pretty strictly around then because even if she's showing signs, that's kind of when you want to keep the male in there. Um, but I definitely stop after I see ovulation.
5: And
2: um, what's the... What's the gestation period for for ball pythons from uh, ovulation until she, she lays the eggs?
6: Ooh, I don't know that one off the top of my head. Maybe is it, like, ovulation, then she's going to have a um, pre-lay shed. That's what you want to look for. Because um, after she ovulates, she'll have a pre-lay shed. I got to look at that breeding t- tutorial. I think it's 30-something days or 40-something days before they lay. But then some females, they just, they kind of hold on to the eggs, too. So I think it's, like, approximately 40 days. I'm not sure, though.
2: That's right. Um,
6: I should have probably known that. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Um, And in your experience, um, have you, or actually, have you experimented at all with um, letting a female maternally incubate, or do you uh, automatically just uh, take the eggs and pop them in the
6: incubator? I've always taken the eggs. I've never experimented with maternal incubation. Um, I've heard a lot of people say that it works just fine. Uh, I just, I don't know. I think I'm a little too anal to kind of let that happen. Um, just like another and, big reason.
2: That's what it is. What is it? You like to be in control. That's what yeah, it is. Yeah, pretty
6: much. Because I feel like if I can see it and... You know, I I can put it right there, and I know it's going to have 90% humidity or whatever humidity and, and all this other stuff. I just feel more confident about it. Um, but a lot of it, too, is that female to get back on food. It's amazing yep. how tiny they look after they lay. It's, it's just, I don't know, it's just like they're like a bag of skin almost. Well, <laughs> not really, but it's just you're used to seeing them so big for so long, like, wow, you're building – Wow, you're ovulating, you look huge, and then all of a sudden, whoa. So I want that female to bounce back as soon as as soon as she can.
2: Yes, it is, um a very large uh percentage of her weight goes into uh producing the eggs and mm-hmm. then for all the time that she's incubating if you know, if she were to maternally incubate for all that time, you know, it's a, it's a huge um consumption of of their energy and uh you know could possibly, you know, I'm sure in the wild these snakes you know don't breed every season.
6: Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, so uh, I don't
2: Mhm. Okay, so do you want to talk a little bit about um, you know, your your care for the hatchlings once uh once they hatch out?
6: Uh yeah. Um once they hatch out, when they all hatch out, I rinse them off and um, I clean out the tub real well because there's, like, snake goo and all of that all over the place. I clean that out and then I put them on damp paper towels and I stick them back into the incubator until they um, until they have their first shed. Once they have their first shed, then I separate them into their separate tubs and then they can go in a rack or the incubator, I mean, depending on if I'm low on space or not. But usually they'll go into the rack. And I wait about a week or so, um, and then I offer them their first meal. Yeah, and not all of them will take right away. It's it's kind of frustrating. So you just have to wait a couple times. And, of course, um, paper towels as bedding. And I also give them a little hide, like I'll just cut up a toilet paper roll or something and throw it in there um, and a little water bowl, make sure they feel all nice and secure and yeah, and then I hope I they take it. Um, I try my best to offer it like their first meal, like later in the evening, and I try to offer like a little small mouse hopper that's not too, you know, um, not too big, just like the appropriate size. And sometimes I will leave it overnight because some of them are pretty shy. So, so yeah. Um, but you usually and
2: you you start mm-hmm. out with uh, offering live prey items.
6: I do. Yeah, I try to – I know you can try other things, but I just feel like the movements attract them uh, a little bit more, and that way you don't have, like, a huge giant human looming over you with a frozen thaw and tongs, like, come on, come take it. (laughs) Um, And I just feel like that first meal is so crucial. I I just want them to develop that feeding response before I offer – you know, a rat crawler or, uh, or something frozen thawed. Well, actually a hopper, I have tried offering small, you know, little rats first, cause I prefer my ball pythons to be on rats versus mice, um, and see if they'll take it. You know, if they, if they take it, that's great. And I keep offering it, but if they don't take it, then I take it out and and then I'll wait a couple days or whatnot, and then offer the the hopper. But I don't always do that; it just depends on the snake.
2: Okay, great. And um, I, I imagine you keep um, breeding records for for your uh, for the offspring you produce.
6: Yes, I do. I don't just say, "Oh, all the eggs in the incubator." Okay, and I don't know <laughs> who you know who does who or whatever. Because I definitely don't want to like. I don't know. Raise one up, and then oh no, you went to your dad. And, you know, I don't know. I know, I know it could be done. It's just I like to know who produced what kind of thing, especially if if somebody's interested in buying a snake as a pet or even as you know an investment or whatnot. I know it's really important to know, you know, when did it hatch? You know who who made the pairing kind of thing, and um and I also have a smaller collection than than a lot of breeders, and so it's definitely easier for me to just, you know, to kind of remember that, like, I can just, yeah, if that makes any sense.
2: Yes, it, it makes perfect sense. Um, do you use any of the um, uh, computer uh, programs for um, for tracking um, feedings and genetics and stuff like that, or do you just do old school, note cards, and breeding cards.
6: I actually bought the reptile scan app. It was the most expensive app I've bought, and sadly, I haven't really, I haven't really used it. Um, it looks very easy to use, uh, but I'll, I'll have to admit, I'm horrible at technology. I just, I hate it. Like it <laughs> took me a long time to get a smartphone, and I still would rather have a dumb phone, just because I. I like buttons, but, like, it's just confusing. Um, And so it's my fault for not looking into it and seeing how you really do it all. And I think a lot of it for me is, personally, I'm just so paranoid of what is the cloud or what happens if I just, the app disappears and I can't find my records. Like, I just have some, I just like to have something physical. So I um, I make, like, little sheets of cards. And I laminate them and I write it on with a Sharpie. That's how I kinda of keep my records. And I need to get better at that too, so yeah. But I, I prefer something like pen and paper.
2: I'm I'm the same way. It's so hard to uh to try to get accustomed to uh to some of that new technology when you don't have uh a lot of time to, to dedicate to playing around with it. Um, I know. Why don't you tell us a little bit about um, some of the morphs you work with? You, you mentioned uh, the spider was your first. Um, yeah. But what are What are some of the other things that you work with?
6: Um, I have a, I have I have a pretty good variety. I think I think just kind of sitting here and analyzing that question is kind of cool because I realized, wow, you know. Back when I was 21, or, you know, back when I was looking at YouTube videos of people's collections, I would drool, like, wow, that's so awesome. You know, they have a pied, and I guess it's just kind of humbling, but um, I work with just a variety of everything. I have a lot of hypo stuff. I love hypo stuff. Um, I used to not care too much for it. Uh, I mean, it was just there until I got a ghost female, again, from Brandon Bokey. Gosh, that guy. But um, yeah, I was just hooked. So I love the hypo stuff. Uh, this year, I'm diving more into clown stuff. Um, I love the clown stuff as well. It's just it's just the patience of okay, going to make hats, kind of thing. Same thing with hypos; they're recessive too. But uh, so I have hypos. I have I work with. Uh, just got into the GHI, so that's really exciting. Um, what else? Geez. I actually really like the Het Reds, Het Red Xanthix. And it's very confusing to a lot of people just because it's like, so is it codon or is it recessive because it's Het Red, but it's just it's like, it's like just a name kind of thing, like saying a pastel is Het Super Pastel. But I really like the Het Reds and what they do to particular more, so that's really cool too. Um, How does that gene work? I used
1: to have those, and I didn't understand them. I wound up selling them.
6: <laughs> oh, how, how did it work?
1: Yeah, how does that gene work? I, I bought a pair, actually, like four years ago. and, and Three years ago. And uh, I grew them up a bit, and then I kind of got bored with them, and I wound up selling uh-huh. them. But
6: uh, I yeah, was actually – I didn't
1: know a lot about them at the time, so.
6: Yeah, it's, it's definitely a more subtle, uh, underrated morph. And it's not super subtle, but it looks very similar to a cinnamon, except mm. I believe – Geez, I wish I had, like, a picture that I can show you. But uh, cinnamons are going to have more contrast. Like, they're going to be darker animals overall. Uh, The het reds, they have – I know cinnamons have, like, kind of like a black back going on thing, too. Not all of them, but it's one of those things. Um, So a het red kind of has that as well, except the het red, the colors are creamier. That's the only word I can try to explain it. They're just creamier. Cinnamons, their flames will have, like, blushing right, in between yeah. the flames. So do the Het Reds. But the cinnamon's blushing, I, I believe, is more more contrasted, like, yeah.
5: like
6: white and black versus the other one has, like, a brown tone in the blushing. It's, I don't know if that makes sense. But um, but a Het yeah, Red absolutely. is pretty much – so the super form of a Het Red um, – so many people ask, and I always compare it to this, um, the super form of a het red exanthic is a red exanthic. So it's like saying the super form of a pastel is a super pastel. So, Corey Woods named it het red exanthic, but it's actually, you know, a codominant gene. It's not a recessive mm-hmm. gene. So a het red to a het red would make a red exanthic, Just like a pastel and a pastel would make a super pastel. It's like calling a pastel a het super pastel instead of just a pastel.
3: Right. Okay.
1: Like
6: like saying then, het super fire. Yeah.
1: Right. And then the super form is actually if you take a actually... red exanthic
6: and breed it to a normal, right. you would get all red, exanth- uh, het red exanthics.
1: Okay. And the Excuse super me. form is actually an xanthic. It's a white. It's it's all it's lacking all. Uh, yellow pigment is just white, uh, white and black uh, and gray color, right? Uh,
6: no, not the het reds. Um, oh
1: no,
3: okay.
6: I know it's it's so weird. Maybe that's why it's underrated because people just are like, okay, that's that's too weird. We're just gonna go cinnamon. Um, but uh, no, it's not. It's You're just right. it's just kind of like a a het red with more pattern and and I, I just. I just can't – I don't know if I can describe it, but it's not your typical, like, TSK Exantic or, you know, VPI Exantic Exantic.
3: Right.
6: You know, to be honest, I don't yeah. know why they called it Exantic.
3: <laughs> I really
6: don't. I'd like to know. If you find out, let yeah. me know. But, but yeah, it's <laughs> e- yeah, it's, it's weird because they're not receptive That was at some all. of the
1: problems. Yeah, that was some of the issues I was having with them. I'm like, well, what did I just buy here? I don't get it. And uh Yeah but, hey, I actually had a but it's one of nice those things that if
6: you uhhuh. If you put it to like a pastel, I think they look really cool. Um it doesn't change it drastically like putting a banana to a spider, but it looks it looks different. It has like a black back kind of thing going on. And it does change it a little bit, but if you put it to a black pastel, then it changes it drastically. It's a it's a gargoyle. And those are really right. cool. Right.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: those are. I like them. Well, I mean, speaking of the different yeah. morphs, um, Kristen, mm-hmm. what do you think about the, the ball python market in general and the pricing
2: uh, Actually, changes Dave, that we've can seen I, Sorry, Dave, can I and interrupt what? you for a second and just I just wanted to hit sure. on one more thing uh, with the morphs before we got moved on. Okay. Uh, sorry, okay, Kristen. Um, no, it's what, okay. Kristen, are you familiar with um, any morphs? I know there are kind of more and more of the morphs that are being developed now with ball pythons. Um, Any morphs that better as adults, I know a lot of the ball pythons, you know, look incredible as hatchlings, um, Uh but quite a few of them kind of lose that, that vibrant color um, as they mature. Um, But through, you know, selective breeding, I know there, there are kind of more and more morphs now that, you know, actually look better as adults. Um, Can you talk about any of those or your experience with them?
6: Yeah, um, the ones that come off the top of my head would be Enchies, um, Vanillas, Fires, um, Orange Dreams is the the big new one. I don't have that in my collection, so I can't speak offhand of what that does, but but I know off the top of my head, those jeans definitely mix with other jeans, clean up things really nice, and they hold their their um, bright, vibrant colors a lot better than other ones. Now, when something first comes out of the egg, I I don't think you can really beat that because um, they're just going to be gorgeous. But I do believe that they tend to hold their color a little bit more um, as they age kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, questions. <laughs> yes, definitely. Go ahead, Dave.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Yeah. No. I just wanted to um, see, you know, take your opinion on the pricing of morphs and some of the changes we've seen over the last few years.
6: Yeah, I think it's crazy. Uh, honestly, I think it's it's really crazy, but I think it's great because I feel like it's crazy because ball pythons have definitely exploded, and so many people are getting into it. I've heard that the big retail pet stores like Petco, PetSmart, and all of them are going to be carrying, like, more. It's like I see spiders and pinstripes there now, and who knows what else we'll see um, later on down the years. And so I feel like ball pythons, it isn't so abnormal to be like, what? I didn't know they'd come in different colors kind of thing. And with that happening, I also feel that, um, that the market's a little... A little all over the board at the moment. I still think it's yeah. great, but I feel like we do have a lot of because it's not rocket science to, you know, breed snakes um, or breed ball pythons. I can't speak for other species, but um, and so I feel like a lot of people are doing it and are attempting to do it. Um, but with that being said, there's more there's more being produced, and so the prices are gonna are gonna, you know, go down and and all that great stuff. And like anything else. The banana is a great example, and it's such a hot topic that um, that they were selling for thousands of dollars years ago, and then now they're, you know, fairly affordable. Um,
3: yeah.
6: Yeah, so, uh, I don't know. I mean, are you asking me where do I think it's going or just my opinion of it? Well,
1: that, that's the next question is, yeah, what do you see? What do you predict for the future of it?
6: Oh, man. Well, I haven't been in it as long as uh, some of these other amazing breeders to really, because I'm sure they can see somewhat of a pattern and and all that. But personally, I feel like uh, I feel like it's really unstable now, just because a lot of people are jumping in, um, and I also feel like unfortunately a lot of people are jumping in too fast and maybe for the wrong reasons, and and due to that they get discouraged really easily. Um and then so it becomes kind of like a horrible cycle of oh well I can't I can't get the clutch I want or you know, I give up because I had a female slug out or whatever and then they just liquidate their entire collection. And I do feel that yeah. that hurts that I feel that the people that it hurts the most are the newcomers that are coming in and not understanding that, you know, this person just gave up and so they oh yeah, well I'll buy that for super cheap and then oh, my gosh, it had an R.I. or whatever, and then they get discouraged. So that's really sad. Um, and then, of course, they go to shows, and it's it's hard for, you know, good breeders to say, well, I, I really, you know, I know you saw on Craigslist or on, you know, Facebook that Joe Schmo is selling his for this price, but you have to understand that, you know, the reason behind it and all that. So it's, I feel like it's a crazy time right now, but I, personally think that in a few years, um, I think things will turn back around because I feel like the people who are in it for the animals and for the love of their genetics and for the love of educating other people and not giving up so easily will still stay. So
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. What do you think about auctions?
6: Auctions? Uh, yeah. I'm not going to lie. I did au- – I, I mean, I know – do an auction before but I've bought from an auction before Uh, I don't often um, and I won't again but uh, I don't know I do think it definitely makes the market a little pettier but I understand the reason behind it Uh, Mm -hmm. and you know we can't all just have a huge agreement let's not you know sell our snakes like this every individual is going to have their reason behind selling a snake for, for why they sell it and and all that. I personally, I think it's rough um, just because, you know, if you're a person of your word and you start up an auction page, and let's just say it's like, you know, you just started it up and it hasn't had a lot of, um, hasn't attracted a, a big group of people and a few people bid on it and they get lucky and get it for something super cheap. You know, then that person thinks that, oh my gosh, you bought your black pastel for two fifty. I got mine for fifty bucks on an auction, and so it kind of spreads like wildfire. And it, I personally just think that a lot of people may just wait for a better deal on an auction and kind of claim that as market value, I know. Than, I agree.
0: You know,
6: yeah. Yeah. So it's a double edged sword. I get why people do it. I understand it's a business, but at the same time. You know, I wish a lot of people who do participate in that also understand that if you do see something from a breeder at a show that you really like, at the value that it's supposed to be, buy it. I mean, don't wait for an auction animal just because you've deemed auction prices in your head as market value.
1: Yeah, and that's it's creating, and that's not just in ball pythons, but also in leopard geckos, we see it too, where. Um, it definitely changes the perception of what the pricing is, like you were saying. And it also, um, well, people just really frown on auctioning off live animals. Um, they don't like the, I mean, they, they feel that auctions with cars or anything other merchandise is fine, but when it's a living thing mm-hmm. and you're, you know, auctioning off to the lowest bidder, it kind of changes, the morality of it changes.
6: It does. Okay. So, I, I agree with you. I I definitely, and even though I've bought a few auction animals, um, yeah. um I don't know. It, I, I agree. A it just doesn't, yeah, and sometimes the deals are just really hard to pass up on. But um, for the public as a whole, I do feel that you're right. It, it does kind of, oh my gosh, well, I'll do $5 more on this, I'll do $5 more on this. And it's like, well, what is that animal worth to you? Why can't you just buy it, you know? at the show right. or through whoever advertised it for two fifty because you should buy the animal because you like the animal and of course sure buy it for its genetics and everything but don't be upset if it doesn't produce for you or something because after all it's a living creature. Right. Yeah, I know. I, I feel like auctions kind of gear more on the genetics you're buying, I guess, instead of a pet. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I think we're going to see some changes in the future. I think, you know, everybody is trying auctions. No, well, not everybody, but we're seeing more and more people trying auctions, and it's like, all right, well, now it's not just one guy doing it. Everybody's doing it, so we're everybody's getting confused. Like, well, where's whose auctions? So I want to go in, and mm-hmm. everybody's all scattered all over the place. It's kind of like pandemonium, in my opinion. And I don't know. I like the traditional way of buying and selling. You know, you deal with the breeder that you like and trust. You know, you go for animals for, from certain lines that you want, and, uh,
6: mm-hmm. you know,
1: you support you support your favorite breeders. That's what I like. Um, yeah, that's, but, that's
6: what I do. And uh, back to the auctioning thing, anybody can do it. I mean, anybody can have a Facebook account, and it's kind of scary because, you know, of course, uh, a no-name person would probably sell their – not a lot of people would auction on it. And so, of course, that animal or that particular morph would go for a lot cheaper it just kind of floods everything, so right I know
1: well, we're gonna likely see some interesting times coming up with all this going on so i mean it is a it is a transitional time in the reptile world. there's so many different things going on, and yeah, there's some good good things and bad things, so I think we're living in exciting times for the reptile world what do you think what do you think
6: I think it's, I think it's a test uh, yeah, if you're doing it because you love to do it then that's awesome and it does kind of stink to like look at you know I don't know like an animal that you bought like a morph that you bought a year ago and say wow I spent this much on it and it went down this much um or if it's hard to move your animals because there's so much competition and just in general it's just people just aren't buying or whatever and it is hard but at the end of the day you know I got into this because I like the genetics and I like the snakes and, uh, you know, and I feel like this transitional time will just kind of make your passion for it stronger.
2: Yeah, I agree. What what I find, what I find very intriguing is, um, if you know, we're not the first, uh, obviously, and not the only, um, reptile related, um, blog talk radio show, Um, But if you go back, I I believe Reptile Radio um, was the first one, and if you listen to some of their shows from five years ago, they have the same exact conversation. What's going on with the market? You know, where is it going? What's going to happen? You know, there are a lot of people, you know, trying to dump their collections, and in my opinion, you know, it just grows and grows and grows, and it's it's a it's cyclical and people, you know, come into it for the wrong reasons, just as you mentioned, Kristen, and people get out of it. Um, I think maybe perhaps more now because of social media and and all the forums and everything, maybe you see those people selling their collections, um, as a whole more now, just because you, you might, you know, see it more often on the, on the internet, um, than you did in the past. But, um, as you just as you said, the people that are passionate about it are going to continue to be passionate about it. And overall, it's just growing and growing and growing. And seeing um, specific morphs and specialty morphs of ball pythons in the big box stores, I think, are just going to grow the market. And, and if you just think about the numbers of those stores across the United States and think about how, you know, if they put one morph ball python in every one of those stores that that's Mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of of you know of those snakes that that they need to be supplied with and they have to come from somewhere Um, right so that just increases the possibility for breeders across across the board um yeah but uh just moving on kristen we're we're you know getting down to the end of the show. I just wanted you uh to mention a little bit um about some of the other um reptiles that you work with um okay. and will possibly breeding be breeding in the future
6: um uh, some other reptiles I uh, well balls are my main thing, uh but I also keep hognose snakes, and uh those are so cool. I love them. Uh, they eat like crazy, and their personalities are just wild. Uh, so those are really cool. And I, uh, I had house snakes. I got into house snakes for a little bit. Um, I do have one Lichianus gecko. Yay! So,
3: yeah, donations.
6: <laughs> yeah, I have one. Um, I had a leopard gecko a while back, but um, for some reason, sometimes when you just keep a certain animal. You like it, and it's it's all great, but it's just it's just you're not passionate about it um so I had a leopard gecko and it it really didn't do anything for me. I mean, it was beautiful, I loved it, but it was just there, and I didn't have any breeding plans or anything so um but for some reason, the leeches, oh my goodness, I saw one um from uh, Mike, I can't say his last name, but he's from alpha geckos he had a huge leey on this at n a r b c And he just put it in my hands and I was hooked. It was crazy. So I do have one leopard gecko. Uh, I have a woma python. Um, So so yeah, I have, I don't know, I've kept a few species here and there. Um, The house snakes are really cool. Uh, They're kind of like corn snakes, except, I don't know, it's just just a little bit different on them. And uh, they eat like crazy as well. And they breed even crazier. It's. Yeah, it's not rocket science to breed them. Um, you actually have to keep them separate just so that they stop breeding. It's, it's crazy. Um,
2: <laughs> and then in the and future, there, you,
6: I'll be hoping to uh, breed my hog noses. So.
2: And it's um, – the the house snakes, I think, are um, one of those uh, definitely underrated species that have been available in the hobby for so many years and, and just something you don't see often and um, – you know, I'm not really sure why and uh there are even some some different morphs out there. Um did I see on your on your page that you have an albino house snakes?
6: Yes, I had a um, an albino house snake and and another thing about them is um I think they're also locale based. I believe. But mine were the lamp forest, I don't know. No, Fertilingus, Fertilingus house snakes. And uh, yeah, I had an albino, and then I had a female head albino, and I produced babies, and they were really cute. I got uh, I got two albinos and one head, and then the rest she she kind of flogged out. But um, but yeah, they're just really cool little things, but they're definitely very flighty, very flighty snakes.
2: And um, Kristen, we're, as I said, we're getting to the end of the show. Do you want to just um, huh? give out? Um, your uh, contact information and and how people could find you and get in contact with oh, you. Oh
6: yeah, sure. Um, I am on Facebook all the time, maybe a little bit more than I should be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I know I have a a page Medusa's Balls, um, but to be honest, I'm more on my, my page page. So you can just uh, search me up by Kristen underscore Tran at ymail dot com. That's also my email, and it's Kristen K R I S T i-n not e-n and then tran t-r-a-n um so yeah you can look me up there and uh send me a friend request and if we don't have a lot of friends in common just shoot me a message because i get a lot of strange people adding me and it's kind of unpleasant sometimes
3: (laughs) so so
6: so if you have like less than five friends in common and i don't recognize any of those friends i just won't add you yeah
2: (laughs) Kristen, I'm an awesome guest though Kristen.
6: I don't know if you heard
2: Dave and I speaking uh before we brought you on but um I have to say that I'm very disappointed having you on as a guest because uh you didn't drop one y'all the entire show.
6: I didn't do what?
2: <laughs> you you didn't say y'all not once during the oh, entire really? show. I didn't? And when we when we spoke before the show it was one of the first things I I recognized out of your mouth and uh and I couldn't believe you didn't you didn't drop any of them in the entire show
6: well you didn't ask any questions that would require me to address you guys <laughs> oh well there you go i could have said to address y'all <laughs> i don't know because it didn't come out but i am staring at my boots right now so i am 100 percent texan that's for sure so yeah that's
1: cool well you're awesome uh, guests, Kristen, and you know it was a pleasure having you on with us
6: Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, I don't know. I guess all I can say to everyone listening is just, just at the end of the day, just, I don't know, do what you love, I guess, whether that be a normal or whatever, you know. Oh, can I tell a funny story before I leave? Sure. Okay. Okay. So back to Trouser, my first ball python. So I was living with my parents Mm -hmm. and my parents were like, no snakes, right? So if anybody was wondering, like, how did I get away with that? I totally hid my terrarium with trouser in it in my room. And at the time, I didn't know. I had a dome light, and I know that's, like, overkill for a 12 by 12, you know, snake with a heat patch underneath. But he lives. He's good. Um, But I had a red dome light. And uh, and whenever I wasn't home or something, I would turn it off. Um, And I would always, like, kind of keep it on a chair, turned the chair around, put clothes like over the chair so you couldn't see the terrarium, just in case my parents went into my room. Well, one day, my mom, she went into my room and I didn't turn off the light, and so it caught her eye. And she, my parents didn't know that I had a snake. And um, she went over there and she was, she found it. And when I went home, she said, Kristen, I told you no snakes. And I'm like, oh, dang it, she found it. And she told me later on that she had thought that when she saw it, she was terrified, not because, you know, she thought it was a snake. It's because she didn't know what it was. And when she looked in the terrarium, she saw, like, fake plants and stuff. And she thought that I was growing (laughs) marijuana
3: in my room.
6: (laughs) She thought I was growing marijuana in my room until she looked closer and then she saw the snake. So she was relieved, you know. But I was like, oh, thanks, Mom. Like, what would make you think that, you know? (laughs) I don't understand. Um, but yeah, so she was relieved, and she was like, "Have you been bit? Is it poisonous?" And I'm like, "Mom, no, it's fine." And she's like, "Kristen, they have rabies." And oh my goodness! <laughs> to this day, she she doesn't understand. She thinks that they'll show me affection on my neck and squeeze me to death. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I try to educate her, but no, no. So how do
2: they so. how do they feel about coming to your house now?
6: Um, I have them all in the back room, so they don't they don't see it, so it's fine. I think they've definitely accepted it. Um, after I graduated college and I went full blown into the snake stuff, I did get a couple phone calls from my crying mother. Like, I'm, I kid you not, she's like, "You're a grown woman now. You know you have your own house. You need, to, you need to you need to grow up. Get rid of these snakes. They're stressing you out, and you have to like clean their crap. That's disgusting." and I just have to tell her over and over again, this is what I like doing, and it's it's hard. And I'm sure there's so many listeners out there and new people out there that have to go through, and even old people maybe, that have to go through the same stuff, you know, just trying to educate people who just have a natural fear of it. But I don't know. If they still come to my house, if I bring it out, I, I would never bring it out to them, but they always say, you don't have them loose in your house, right? I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't. It's okay, you know, so, for sure, it's it's fun, though, and I don't know, I still do it. I just, uh, I just recently added my mom onto my Facebook. Originally, I, I deleted her, because <laughs> I post a lot of snake pictures, and she's just like, oh, that's gross, or, and then, of course, I'll get the phone call, I'm like, stop, and so, I just recently added her again, and I think they get it, um, you know, they get it. It's what I do. So, yeah. Well, again, thanks so much for having me on.
2: Thank you so much, Kristen. You're a great guest, and uh, and we'll have to have you on in the future uh, to give us some updates on, on what's new with you, okay?
6: Okay, sounds good. Thank you so much, and you guys have a great night.
2: Thanks. You too. Dave, you still with us?
1: I'm here, too. I'm sorry.
2: Oh, there you
1: um, are. Yeah, I had to step away for a second, but what do you think? It was a great show. She's an awesome
2: guest. She was a, a great guest, and uh, she was a little nervous before the show, but um, she did a great job, and uh, we're really thankful to, uh, to have had her on.
1: I'm nervous uh, before, during, and after every show, so I don't know.
2: How am I doing? <laughs> hey, you're doing awful, Dave. Just hang it up now. <laughs> I know, right?
1: Uh, but I don't know. I got to be. We, I think we're doing pretty good because our listenership keeps going up.
2: So that's a good thing. So we're doing a good job for the community. And, uh, and it was well, nice you know, to, it was cool. uh, to to branch out into uh, into some new topics tonight. And um, oh yeah, and Absolutely. we'll be continuing to do so in the future.
1: Yes, we will. We were, uh, we were Tim and I were talking earlier about. Um, doing more shows like roundtable discussions with, with new folks that are coming in and getting their perspective on things. Uh, you know, we do a lot of shows with uh, top reader interviews and prominent people in the community. But I think uh, it's just as important to bring on the little guys and gals out there and uh, have them on the show too. So, uh, yeah, that'll be that'll be fun. we got a lot of great ideas coming up in the future, folks, so uh, stick with us. I think you'll be
2: impressed. But,
1: uh, all right, Tim, I guess I'll uh, – I'll let you off the hook here, and uh, we'll, uh, I'll finish up the show.
2: All right. Have a good night, everybody. Take it easy, Dave.
1: All right, Tim. talk to you during the week. Bye. Later. All right, folks, hang tight. I'll be right back with my closing remarks.
0: Gecko Nation Radio is a David Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation, Apply for membership today. The jazz music you heard tonight was generously donated and created by Jeremy Turgeon of j and Reptiles. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for the great musical pieces. You can check out Jeremy at j and Reptiles on YouTube and on Facebook. And a very special thank you to our news anchor, graphic designer, and audio tech, Steve Barker. All the graphics, audio sponsor plugs, and music overlays were assembled by Steve. Check out Steve on YouTube at BC Barker Creations he has some terrific videos for the herb community with amazing geckos and snakes. Please support the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance and U.S. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to support both of these organizations. Please donate to U.S. so that they have the funds needed to legally protect pet owners' rights nationwide. You can donate to the U.S. Legal Defense Fund at www.usarc.org. If you would also like to learn about advocacy, and how you can take action on a state and local level, please subscribe to the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance newsletter and blog at www.usherp.org.
1: All right, folks, and it is the end of the show, and I'm looking in the call queue, and uh, most of the callers have dropped off except for one, and that is Gecko Nation Radio's biggest fan, Miss Elsa Borzoi. Uh, thanks Elsa for being the cool chick that you are and uh, so supporting the show like you do. It's great to have a, a diehard fan and uh Elsa's awesome. But uh, yeah, so some of my closing remarks uh, tonight, one of the things that I take away from the show is not only is it just fantastic to, you know, speak about wall pythons and stuff, uh, you know, and add that to our uh, list of those topics that we discussed, but one of the things that sticks with me from tonight was something we were, when we were talking about the market, and Tim uh, brought up the fact that even five years ago, people had the same concerns about the market and the pricing and this and that. And I think, I think, and I'm going to go out on a limb here, and this is my opinion. I think that human beings and the human condition is such that we are never happy, and we're always worried about the market, and we're always thinking it's the end of the world and it's always this or that. But in the end, life just keeps going on and the market just keeps going on and everything just keeps flowing like it should. And I think if we just trust in that and just relax a little bit, um, and I know that veterans of all this realize that, realize it for what it is. So they don't get it. Don't get it crazy and nervous and upset over it. Um, just realize it, that like Tim said, there's ebbs and flows and ups and downs and, it's just part of the cycle. It's very cyclical. So, you know, complaining and worrying and thinking that, Oh, nobody's going to buy these animals, this and that, that's not going to happen. And I just think as a whole, you know, everything right now is in one of those downturns, but there's always an upturn and usually it's at the worst point, or at least the point that people think is the worst point, everything takes a turn for the better. And I, and I definitely see it coming. Um, You know, I have my moments where I'm kind of pessimistic about things. But I always wind up snapping myself out of it. Something happens or, you know, I talk to somebody and my perspective changes. Okay. So, good luck, everyone. I hope everybody's uh, 2015 season is great. I'm looking forward to mine. And uh, looking forward to more great shows uh, with you guys. Go ahead and see who's... On the air with us next week. We have a we have a really great lineup of shows coming for you guys. Um, we're just going to be putting a lot of more diversity into the show as well. Uh, you guys should be happy. And if you guys have any ideas or topics or guests that you'd like to hear on the show, you can send me an email at radio at gmail dot com or mention it to Steve Tim as well. All right. So next week on November ninth, we have Anastasia Haroldson from Netbug, and me and Daryl Burton are going to be talking with her all about arachnids, spiders, um, tarantulas, and all kinds of different uh, insects that she keeps as well. Um, she does mostly spiders, but she's got some cool stuff in her in her lineup, and he uh, made a really cool intro video for her too. So. Looking forward to speaking with Anastasia. I love her. She's a doll. I see her at all the shows up here. Uh, after next week, we have Leapin' Leeches with Steve Chimelli. And uh, that's going to be a great, great one, great show. Uh, Kristen mentioned that she has a lychee. So I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more about them. And then after that, we have Travis Kuss of Enigmatic Reptiles. And we're going to talk about satanic Leaftail geckos, which are just... Totally impressive, and I'm totally considering getting at least a pair of them to play around with. I just find them fascinating, and uh, if I get them, I'll get them from Travis, of course. I think he's doing great work with his, and um, so, another guest uh, in the future. We're going to have Calarique, the folks from Calarique that make FlexLot heat tape. We have some uh, upcoming uh, interesting developments with FlexLot that we're going to be doing a show about. I think you guys will be very impressed. Uh, FlexWatt is, of course, the best and safest and most energy-efficient heat tape in the world and in the reptile community. It's the most widely used and trusted heat tape. So don't be fooled by claims by imitators or people selling imitations. FlexWatt is still the latest technology and the best and safest for your racks. If you guys are buying racks and and, uh, the manufacturer has switched to a knockoff of FlexWatt, you guys can still order that rack without the heat tape installed and uh, message me or one of the FlexWatt distributors like the Bean Farm, Blake Kuros, Dale's Breeder Dragons. Uh, if you're up in Canada, Dino Reptiles, A-Plus Serpents, of course, and in, in, uh, they're in Massachusetts. Um, and uh, we have a few more. Uh, you guys can message them and tell them what you need, and they'll send you the good stuff. Because a, a lot of companies, big businesses, big rack manufacturers are Uh, Switching to cheaper knockoffs, I mean, it's just, for them, it's more cost efficient. Uh, Unfortunately, the energy efficiency and safety isn't as great with those heat tapes as it is with FlexLot. They'll work for you, though. You know, they're not going to be be a total loss. But if you guys are really particular about how you're heating your racks and if you're really concerned about having the safest products in your home, then you're going to want to switch to FlexLot. And uh, FlexWatt helped build the reptile industry and made it what it is today. All those big breeders did it with FlexWatt. So message me if you guys have any questions about it. Okay. And uh, speaking of FlexWatt, we're going to have also ProTech Caging Paul Edwards. Paul Edwards is revolutionizing racks. He's making incredible new style racks that are just so nice. Um, We're going to have him on the show. He's going to talk about his new products that he's working on. So uh, looking forward to the future, everybody. All right. I'm going to go ahead and thank my sponsors, and then I'm going to play a cool song and take us out. Number one, Dale's of Dragons. Dale's They are the biggest and best reptile supply distributor at Ball of the Northeast Expos, going from Maryland to New Hampshire. com is your source for dubia riches. Definitely. Check them out, AB Dragons. Use the code GECKO, all in caps, and you're going to get 5% off your order. Both the world's best tubia roaches. Supreme Gecko, Wally Kern. Awesome Cresties. Awesome Day Geckos. Really nice stuff. And you've got supplies and stuff for them, too. So definitely check out Supreme Gecko. OhioGecko.com is by Mr. Thad Unkeffer. And he also runs geckoforums.net. And uh, Thad's got some terrific tangerines, really cool starburst fat tail geckos. his Owen Morph, okay? And uh, a lot of other great projects. So check out ohiogecko.com. And if you're feeding a crazy bunch of animals that eat insects, you're going to want to feed them the best insects that you can find, definitely check out Rainbow Mealworms. RainbowMealworms.net. Ask for Jillian Spence. Jillian is the worm goddess, I call her. She is awesome. She is a sweetheart. She will help you. She does a lot for the reptile community and the gecko community in particular. And uh, definitely great pricing, high-quality worms. They're the biggest worm farm in the world. Check them out, rainbowmealworms.net. And if you're getting into shipping your animals, if you're a a breeder that ships animals across the country, you're going to want to ship them as cost-effectively and as safely as possible and with the best, with the company that has the best customer service. So get your FedEx labels from Reptiles Express, reptilesexpress.com. And if you're new to shipping, ask for Debbie Price and she will talk you through it and help you figure it out. It's really easy. Uh, Ron Tremper. Ron Tremper is one of the biggest contributors, if not the biggest contributor to leopard geckos. Okay? He gave us the bandits. He gave us tangelos. He gave us the tremper obino, of course and all kinds of other interesting morphs and marines. Um, now the new Pastel Raptors. Check out Ron Tremper at www.leopardgecko.com, and he's got a couple of great apps, Reptile, i uh, sorry, Leopard Gecko Pro and Leopard Gecko Care, and a few more. Keith Giggins of GiantLeperdGecko.com specializes in extra-large leopard geckos and all kinds of cool morphs. Check out GiantLeperdGecko.com. And... MS2 Premium Insect Chow is the best food for your feeder insects. You are what you eat, folks. Make sure your feeder insects are getting fed right so your insect-eating reptiles are getting fed right. Use MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Last but not least, and our newest sponsor, Daryl Burton of Longhorn Geckos. Daryl and his son, Kate, are building quite an impressive collection of bandits and Tangelos, supertangelos, pastel raptors, white and yellow stuff. Um, Really nice wild types. Anger Manus, really cool stuff. So check out Longhorn Geckos on Facebook, and they have a website coming soon. All right, folks, uh, that's it for tonight. Until next week, here's a song. Take us out. Actually, it's more of an instrumental piece. I've been watching a lot of Star Trek on Netflix, so kind of in a Star Trek kind of mood. So check this out.